The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. On this edition of the podcast, it's Overreaction Monday, where we overreact to the previous overreactions. We ask if Gus should have gone to Arkansas, and we wonder whether a 77-pack of Natty Light is truly enough. All right, this is Dan Wetzel, joined by Pat Forty and Pete Thamel. We got the entire gang here this week. To overreact to everything in college yeah. football. Well, let's let's talk about some overreactions that we have seen here that you saw Saturday night in Las Vegas. I want to know if anybody's ever had two more freakish days on the job than you did Thursday, listening to Brian Bowen Sr. cry on the witness stand in federal court, and then you go to the octagon. <laughs> and see whatever the hell that mass brawl was after the Conor McGregor fight. Can you please tell us what the heck that was about? Well, you know, some days it's sensitive, and some, day, some days it's just uh, iron fist. You're just going after it. <laughs> I was there, octagon side, for the McGregor-Khabib uh, uh, fight. Awesome UFC 229. Uh, and I was there for the brawl, which was awesome. <laughs> Now, they put up a barrier. We had a barrier between us, Press Row, and the Octagon, which they normally don't do. So they were expecting, like, anything could happen. But the fight did occur. It was pretty wild. Um, Both McGregor and Khabib were thinking about coming over to fight, but they took one look at me and Kevin Ioli. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, they backed off. Certainly the two most intimidating scribes. We are much tougher than, like, yeah, Khabib... uh, uh, Nurmago Madoff, who is from like a rock pile in Eastern Russia, <laughs> and Conor McGregor from the slums of him. Dublin, yeah. and his their chaotic crew they have around him. So well, it it was good. Like half the people inside T-Mobile Arena got punched in the face, <laughs> but I not me. I was a winner. <laughs> That's a good night if you avoided getting punched. I in thought the it face was a good because- night. People were very upset. Oh, it's Mars it. Oh, this is terrible. Mike, it's cage fighting. What? Yeah. <laughs> what was the morals we're looking for here? I, when I was a kid, I used to watch all the hockey games. And the bra- that was back when they had bench-clearing brawls in the NHL. Like, you know, the guys, they hit each other with sticks. Like It, was total- it wasn't quite slap shot, but it was close. Like, they don't do any of that anymore. Barely. And... Like Brad, Brad Marchand would win like the Lady Bing in 1978. Now he's like the <laughs> worst guy in the league. Um, so there would be a bench cleaning brawl, and it'd be like I'd get the paper the next day, and it'd be like the Boston Globe would be like, bench clearing brawl, Mars Bruins game, and all this stuff. And then 
I'd go to school and all we'd all be like, Did you see the fight? It was awesome. Do you see <laughs> Derry O'Reilly slugged the guy in the face? You know, like that. It, it was no marring. It was awesome. Like you want to be at a baseball game where there's a bench clearing brawl in a real fight, don't you? Well, and at least I. This do. is UFC, so I mean, yeah. clearly, they're I, like, oh, it turns off fans. Like anyone who's turned please. off by this, oh. we're never going to be into the UFC. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Dan. So I am not a UFC guy, more of a UCF guy, Stunner. Than a UFC Stunner. guy. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I know, right? Right on brand. Um, at least I don't drink Fiji. Um, <laughs> so I pay little to no attention. I had like seen on social media and heard rumblings that this fight existed, but I am not their target audience. Uh, I was diligently watching like San Jose State, Colorado State at mm-hmm. like 1.45 a.m. when this was all when this was all unfolding. Uh, but to me, this fight is another inch into the mainstream for UFC. I felt like this got more mainstream coverage. Like ESPN was like, you know, going live to Dana White and they were talking about arrests. Like, I don't recall a moment in the last five years where UFC was covered as much in the mainstream as this. Well, am, I, am I right? And that was the general thesis of your column. Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah, fight. the fight, it will increase the popularity of the UFC. I mean, if you watched it and you're you're inclined to like the UFC, then you will be like, this was awesome. Because the there's a couple appeals to UFC. One, it's they're great athletes and there's great mixed martial arts and all that competition. And there are definitely people that are very into that. Then there's the people who just like the violence and the and and that. And then there's the others who are like, you have to tune in because in this sport, literally anything can happen. Anything can happen. Including yeah. like, you know, a brawl in the state, you know, Khabib winning the bout and then climbing over a fence to do a flying karate kick at a corner man and setting off a near riot inside T-Mobile. Like anything can happen. So you have to watch. So people who watched and like this stuff, it was a very entertaining card. And that was just the cherry on top. They're going to tune in next time. They're going to buy the next pay-per-view. Now they are getting more uh, mainstream attention, particularly from ESPN because ESPN in January is taking over uh, UFC programming from Fox. So, oh, funny how yeah, that works. Yeah, funny how that yeah. works. So now they're well, all in. No wonder it's on Sports Center. Yeah, it's all yeah. in on on it. And I think they they do see there's some popularity and all that. But uh, but this is a big fight. This will be the highest pay per view they've ever done. Uh, at least it was trending that way. I don't. I didn't check the numbers today or check in with Dana White or anything. But um, I've covered it for a long time. And uh, as a journalist, I love it. It's it's endlessly fascinating. Characters, chaos, everything you're looking to write about. And so I, I was not the least bit offended by the fight. I am glad it didn't get into the crowd. That would have been bad. But <laughs> yeah, that would have been malice at the palace. This yeah, is, yeah. And nobody, but there. see, no one's going to care. Like, this is the NBA's no. like, well, we're going to sit down, we're on our test forever. Like, they're not going to do any of that. Like, the Nevada <laughs> State Foundation uh, Athletic Commission could suspend some people, but like, that's who these guys are. Like, these are not well adjusted human beings. They are violent. <laughs> they want, they want to fight each other. I mean, they are viciously like the, the, the insults are vicious and uh, I mean, just over the top racist. I mean, everything like it's, it's not, it's not nice, but again, you have <laughs> Who this the Russian and a, a, an Irishman. It's like, they're not going to hold to the standards. Like there should be some sportsmanship. I'm not excusing it, but they're not going to hold to the standards of American sensibilities. They're not Americans. Yep. You know, and like people are like, well, they ought to act like this. Like, you don't know what you don't know how this guy's going to act. 
Like Khabib's gonna act like how Khabib's gonna act, man. He's a tough dude, and all the guys around him. It's like a goon squad, and so they're gonna fight. This is what they do. It's a violent sport. You don't get into this thing because it's like I I was gonna go to med school, but then I decided <laughs> to, to give this a shot. Like that's not that's not yeah. the career path. Rockpile University has a hell of yeah. a med school yeah. in Eastern Russia. Let me tell you. Yeah, I, I graduated from Tufts, so I was gonna take a gap year, and then yeah. I said, you know what the heck, I'll just go be a violent guy. I think I'm just gonna so, train. So let me let me this. pose this question, Dan and Pat, since. UFC has nothing to do with college football. Which character, and I'm completely making this up off the script, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Which all-time college football character do you think would be the best UFC fighter? I'm going to say Brian Bosworth. Go, Pat. Oh, boy. Yeah, that would be a tough one to top. Although, I'm not sure how tough he was, especially when he got off the roids. Uh, Ray Lewis. Stringent. I'm say Ray Lewis. I mean, Lewis, Ray Lewis has got, he's got a somebody. body count. He might have a body May have count. already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. He's got skins on the wall. <laughs> I mean, I don't right. know. <laughs> you have one, Dan? <laughs> they do have stringent drug testing, so Boz would have gotten wasted out on that. Um, right. Boy, yeah, I don't know. Um, man, I'll tell you what. I, I would like a guy uh, like Ed Reed, man. Ed Reed was <laughs> tough, scrappy. Smart. You got to be smart to be these fighters. They're crazy, but it's very, very hard to win these fights. These guys are so good. You have to have like strategy and cunning and guile. I mean, strategy, cunning, guile. I don't know about that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I see a lot of crawling around trying to punch each other in the eye. There's Elbow definitely that, but eye. you got to find that. I mean, it's it's tough. You got to watch. How much have you watched, Pat, since I got singled out for being the Northeast elitist who would not yeah, watch not, UFC? Not much. Yeah, I didn't not, think so. <laughs> you were hoping they brought a cheese grater in sorry. Uh, to the ring. The sorry, other. group people. I'm sorry for all of this. Nobody. Anyway, it was awesome. And it will I'll never forget, awesome. ten, 10 years ago, I was in Gainesville. It was during like, the Tebow era. And it was like a Saturday night. It was a 3.30 CBS game. I forget who they played. It was like a Saturday night. I went to that like one completely mediocre sports bar over by the residence in in the courtyard there and both of you have i guarantee stayed there at some point in your gainesville life gainesville alehouse I've been yeah, gainesville alehouse. yes so i'm like oh, i'm gonna watch the pac-12 game you know whatever's on usc's on whatever and it was just filled with ufc fans and i like couldn't get college football on tv you know and like florida had just played you know lsu at home and i was just like man I'm missing something here because like there are people who like had to pay a big cover to get in and they were all into it. So again, there's my like antiquated unadjusted uh, observation of the week. Yeah. It's like, it's a slightly big deal. I remember actually yeah. being, I think with you, Pete, we were in Baton Rouge at the crappy little, the little sports bar by that Baton Rouge. Walk on. Yeah. Walk. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we went over, there was a bunch of writers and I was the only one who wanted to watch the UFC. So I was with all the all the regular people from Louisiana, and you guys were like tucked to watching some old whack game or something. I mean, the pay per view doesn't <laughs> even come on until ten, and the like, you know. So I don't know. Look, I can't say that this is uh, the best, you know, the best thing, um, but I enjoy it. The worst is my ten year old daughter's into it now. Oh God, yeah, and she likes. The <laughs> that's women why. Fighters. That's why her soccer team's winning thirty two to nothing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm either a really good parent or a really horrible one. And I think I know the answer, but don't tell me. We won't. We we'll won't talk about that. that on the Race for the Cases pod on Friday when you're not there, yeah. Dan. Uh, we'll have over-unders. <laughs> I think my lock of the week would be picked. I'm like, you're not doing this sport. This is not going to happen. All right. Well, look, we got to get to college football here. Um, we can do a UFC pod somewhere else. But uh, um, 
let's talk about overreactions to our previous overreactions. Okay, particularly week one when two of the schools we bashed for losing uh, were Texas, which lost to Maryland and confused us mightily, and Michigan, which lost to Notre Dame and we thought was setting the tone for, for a bad season. Now, since then, they are combined 10-0. and 0. Um, And that's with varying degrees of, uh, of competition. So let's start with the, the Longhorns. It's not uh, – these are not equal reactions, but let's start with Texas, then we'll get to Michigan. Um, they've been good, really impressive and holding on to win the red river shootout. And yes, I'm calling it a shootout. I don't care. Second amendment, no showdown, uh, 48, 45. When the great Dicker, the kicker won the, won it on a field goal earthquake. Is that a great call by Gus Johnson? Earthquake. Oh. He just yells earthquake. <laughs> and if it had missed it, it would have gone the same. So it's probably like a good – it's like that safe lead, you know, if, if, if whoever wins. You know, it all comes like down a- to one play. Yeah, uh, yeah earthquake, man. Uh, Dicker the kicker. Uh, if this I don't th- I don't know how family this podcast is or not, but I could go down a long uh, I could go down a rabbit hole with this one and uh, probably wouldn't be right. So anyway, let's get back to football. Pat. How wrong were we about Tom Herman's Longhorns and what is this team capable of? Well, yes, I would give a helmet sticker to Dicker the kicker. Nice work by him. Uh, They're good. They're good. I've got to say I was impressed. Now, Oklahoma's defense has some definite issues, uh, but they were able to expose them. They are. uh, Texas is now a physically tough enough team to beat you up if you let them. If you're not good enough to stop them, if you're not strong enough, then – they can run the ball on you. Ellinger, Sam Ellinger, the quarterback, is a very good power runner in the, you know, Tebow ultralight mode. Um, their receivers are big and physical, and they will take corners and, you know, just shove them around and box them out for passes. And I, I'm very impressed with the makeover they're working on that team. You know, that, it's amazing. You go back, all right, they not only lost to Maryland, nearly blew it against Tulsa, fell behind 14-3 to to USC. And since then, it's just been an avalanche. Now, they are a hot and cold team, and the Oklahoma game was very much that way, where it's like, all right, they're unstoppable, and they build a 21-point lead, then boom, it's tied like six minutes later. So they, that's the if you look at their games, uh, they've had a little bit of that in every single game, so there's still some consistency that they're missing. But uh, I, I say Texas could win the Big 12. It's not out of the question by any means. Pete, what do you think? So – it was the week th- heading into week three when Texas was hosting. Was that week three? Yes. After week two, I was at the Clemson game at Texas A&M, drove into Austin and spent Monday and Tuesday in Austin to do a story on Texas. I had assumed Texas would be undefeated at that point. USC would be coming in. It was a big deal. And actually, it was just the opposite. It really wasn't that big of a deal. So I uh, spent some time with the Longhorns that week and was struck by this. I have this booklet in my hand here. And they felt like they had a lot of work to do at Texas when, when the Herman regime got there. And part of that was because the previous strength staff, they felt, had neglected basic strength tenets. So I'm going to read to you... Um, Brecken Hager, the sort of uh, eccentric defensive end of Texas. Winter of 2017, back squat 365. This summer it was 525. Power index. Oh, that's not right. Bench press, 275. Now it's 330. Vertical jump, 35. Now it's 40. 
body fat down 5%. And so basically, the Yancey McKnight, who would likely be a UFC fan, he's got a big ZZ top beard, and he kind of looks like a big burly guy from Strength Coach Central Casting. He basically, his quote was, in classic blunt fashion, a lot of these guys look like they should be playing beer league softball on Wednesdays. So Texas's overhaul, a lot of it had to happen internally. Um, Charles Omanihu, the D lineman who had a, who had a big play in the game the other night, his uh, what was there was one stat for him. Oh, his what is it? Oh, his vertical jump went up twelve inches. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. That's possible. A foot. This vertical jump went up. 12 inches in his back squat went up 130 pounds. Wow. And and if you look at the actual pictures, I mean, they just basically they got a team that was out of shape and they brought it into shape. And then you have to teach culture and turning. So they've beaten ranked teams three of the last four weeks. Sam Ellinger looks like a very competent, high-end Big 12 quarterback. You know, he's not Pat Mahomes gunning around the yard, but he's made good decisions. He was a turnover sieve uh, last season. Uh, I don't. I think he broke Major Applewhite's record for most consecutive passes without an interception. Just everything in that program seems to be trending right right now. But as Pat said, they have been prone to sort of up and down, some some varying d- degrees of peaks and valleys. So I'll be curious how they now handle success. But that's a problem I didn't think they'd be dealing with when I was there in week three. Yeah, they've come a long way. So uh, that's it. Our new overreaction is they're doing well. Uh, all right, then there is Michigan. It has not played the same level of competition as Texas. That's the big thing. But they still won all the games. Uh, maybe most importantly, that Notre Dame loss has aged very well. They look like a terrific team. Now, the Wolverines did not face Ian Book at QB, but it's a road loss, whatever. Um, the defense has always been pretty good in Ann Arbor. Now we're going to find out if the offense is enough to deal with uh, the upcoming stretch. Have they have they righted it? And this, I think these this three-game stretch – for Jim Harbaugh is just massive for his chance to truly get where he wants to get with this program, or it could veer exactly in the direction it's sort of been, which is kind of decent mediocrity. Uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State, at Penn State, these are the three. You need to win them all. You win two or three. I don't know. Pat, how many would you like to see? How good do you think Michigan is? Uh, were we wrong about them early? And how how many of these next three can they win? Yeah, a little bit wrong about them early. Uh, no, obviously, look, Notre Dame's gone on to play very well, as you noted. So that is that is not a bad loss at all. Although they they really kind of got almost run out at first of that game, but they they hung in there. Uh, the the next three undoubtedly huge. Got to win two. Really, maybe need to win three if you want people to believe that that Harbaugh can win a Big Ten. But uh, two for sure. <clears throat> and, I, and one of them better be Michigan State because he's had some bad, bad performances against the Spartans. This is not a very good Michigan State team. The offense, I think, still TBD to a degree. Uh, you know, Shea Patterson put up good numbers against Maryland, but Maryland's, you know, other than when they played Texas, a little bit sketchy. The previous two games against Nebraska, he was not that great. Against Northwestern, he was not that great. But both games, especially at Northwestern, that was a turning point for them. They were down 17-0, came back and won the game. Just very kind of patient, methodical, run the ball, play defense, keep going until we win the game. And uh, that's going to have to be the formula for them. You don't want Shea Patterson out there slinging it 30, 40 times. Uh, so I think they know who they want to be. We'll see if who they want to be is good enough to beat some of these teams coming up. 
Pete, how good do you think they are? And I mean, obviously they run this three. You, you, you're in a position to set up a massive uh, game against Ohio State for the Big Ten at the end. Yeah, and it would be big for the Big Ten, Dan, if that was a big game, if I didn't say big too many times in that sentence. Yeah. Uh, Don Brown, the defensive coordinator for Michigan, is one of the most compelling characters in all of college sports. He is this mustachioed, blitz-happy guru, a little bit like Pat's been writing and tweeting about Charles Grantham at uh, at Florida, uh, who they call Third and Grantham because Third and Todd, Long— Todd he, Grantham. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Charles. I, I, my apologies. Yes, Todd. Um so Brown has is his mo is that he will just absolutely stifle good, I mean, mediocre and bad teams. But like when they played Penn State last year, they got run all over. When they played Ohio State last year, they got run all over. Like because they take so many risks, if you have the personnel to exploit that, they're vulnerable, especially to big plays. So to me, they have very good defensive personnel, Rashawn Gary, Winovich, Bush, the whole the linebacker, the whole thing. Like, here's here's the thing. Can they do it against elite personnel? Does Don Brown's high risk scheme pay off against really good offenses in that league and beyond? Yeah, I think that's gonna be uh that's gonna be it. Anyway, huge stretch coming up. But Michigan has put themselves back in at least discussions for a good season. They did not collapse, and uh there's something to be said uh for that. All right. Um Enough with the positivity, okay? <laughs> this is the this is the overreaction podcast. Let's get negative. Let's talk some Gus Malzahn. <laughs> yeah, Auburn let's... lost to Mississippi State 23-9. Tigers now have two losses on the season. Georgia and Alabama are still coming. Team doesn't look so good anymore. They did beat Washington early, but uh, I think they're in fifth place in the SEC West or something at this moment. The Tigers, uh, Auburn's getting a lot of hype from that Chick-fil-A commercial. See that Chick-fil-A commercial? <laughs> oh, yeah. Where the Chick-fil-A woman says she bought the guy because he bought so much Chick-fil-A, like Auburn plates and cups for cater the party. I don't know if I believe this. That's a lot of service for a fast food joint. But maybe. I don't know. I mean, truth in advertising or something. But other than the Chick-fil-A commercial, and I don't think that guy's having a good time with this. I mean, Chick-fil-A is awesome, but I don't think the parties are so good right now. Um, look, Auburn wanted to fire Gus Malzahn last year and then he beat Alabama and they were like, you know, like the girlfriend who was ready to dump the disappointing boyfriend. But then he brought her flowers and took her apple picking on one Saturday. And Auburn brought Gus 49 million. Yeah. 49 That's a hell of million a flowers. Yeah. Seven years, 49 million. Unbelievable. He is the fifth ranked uh, fifth highest paid coach in America. And I'm pretty sure Auburn fans would, well, there's a good portion of them will get rid of them. Uh, look, the 49 million, obviously, notwithstanding, and that's a hard thing, but he could have made a lot of money elsewhere. I thought he should have taken the Arkansas job last year, gone back to his home state, started anew. He would have had momentum from the Alabama victory, but all this fanfare, he would have been like Jimbo Fisher right now. Everything's on the positive. Uh, once you are on a hot seat in college football, it is almost impossible to get off the hot seat. Those same people just kind of get silenced that dislike you. And so it's possible to do. I think Brian Kelly has done it like Notre Dame, but it's not easy. And uh, again, I'm not, it's hard to criticize someone who got 49 million, <laughs> but he would have got a lot from Arkansas too. But Pat, should Gus, did he blow it? 
other than getting filthy rich by sticking around Auburn? Well, hindsight says he might have blown it. Uh, because the one thing that's true about Auburn is, I mean, I'm not sure there's any place that turns on a coach faster than they do. Uh, they, I mean, it's vicious down there. When when things start going bad, man, they, they there's some people that will want you out no matter what. I go back to what they did to Tommy Tuberville. Uh, they trapped door Gene Chizik, what, two years after he won national title? Uh, there were people that wanted Gus out a couple of years ago. So, as you said, but... I mean, that offense, this is a guy who, that's his calling card, his offense, returning quarterback. That was supposed to be the thing. He's got Jared Stidham. Oh, look out. They're going to be able to, they're going to be really good on offense. 21 points against Washington. 21 points against LSU in a loss. 24 points against Southern Miss. Nine points against Mississippi State. That's not good offense. That's trouble. Uh, so in retrospect, now I could sit here and say it, but I wouldn't have gone to Arkansas then. I, I wouldn't have. I just, I don't think Arkansas is that great a job. I know it's his home state. I know he'd have a very cushy return, but eventually you, after three years or four years, you wouldn't be winning there either. And so you'd, you'd probably be out. I would rather have, I think the built-in advantages that you have at Auburn and, uh, and try to win there. Totally disagree, Pat. Uh, when when the posse is on, it was mid October last year, and it was it was a like even race. Gus could go and win the national title, or Gus could get fired. And when your life is in that par- when your career is in that perilous of a, of a of a situation, pretty much year to year, get out, man, get out. It's not a stable place. I mean, Auburn's the only place that <laughs> that that will fire coaches left and right and extend the ones whose programs are under FBI investigation. Like it's just not a Ooh. rational paradigm of, uh, of, of 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 collegiate enterprise so yeah, who are you who are you going to sign at arkansas to compete with with alabama you don't have to compete with alabama at arkansas no yeah you just go for stability go where yeah. you're loved man like you had a nice run there you'd almost won a national title if kelvin Be- kelvin benjamin didn't have inspector gadget arms you might have you know what peace out like they don't want you there like use some <laughs> emotional intelligence look around and go back to Arkansas, where you're from in Springdale, and be the hero. He probably could have got more than the $49 million that he got. So he'd If be you're 5-7 with- and seven at Arkansas, you're not the hero. And you'd Actually, be 5-7. and if, seven. Yeah, all you have to be is 6-6, six and six, Pat. You're right. <laughs> you, can, you can go to the Shreveport Bowl, and, and, and they'll be calling the hogs for you. I just feel like that, that's a better fit for him. Um, maybe Gus really just wants to get fired and go teach high school chemistry, because that's what he looks like he'd be most comfortable doing. Um, but it's a, uh, it is, yeah, I just, I, I, I would have left if I were Gus. I, like, I was with Pete. I was with Pete last year on this. I mean, you can, I think, I think there's a party you sit there and say, at Auburn, I can win the national title. I can't win it at Arkansas. But if you go, and so maybe it's like, I don't want to give up. But if he goes, wins 10 games, like, in his third or fourth year, he wins 9, 10 games. He's getting another extension. They're happy with him. The whole thing works. He's Arkansas, you know, and it's like you don't have to beat Alabama. Nobody can sign players to beat Alabama. That's the problem. Clemson, maybe. Ohio State. Auburn but, beat Alabama last year. Okay, they beat them, but they didn't, you know, it's it's a one-time thing, and then look, look how happy they are. You beat them at Arkansas, they'll be toasting it for years. It's just. Yeah, you go 9-3 you know, at Arkansas, they build I, a I get you got to give up. You go 9-3 at Auburn, they want to fire you. Yeah, Auburn, I mean, they're dead. Yeah, Arkansas can lose to Mississippi State. They're not going to kill you over there for it. So, I don't know. I thought he should have gone. We will uh, 
We'll see how this plays out. Now, look, uh, even my cold, dark heart is not going to take too much uh, enjoyment out of this. Baylor beat Kansas State, uh, which meant the Wildcats fell to two and four on the season. Uh, this is not a topic anyone really wants to do because who doesn't like the thought of Bill Snyder and his purple windbreaker and personalized handwritten notes existing <laughs> out in the Flint Hills of Kansas? It just It just feels right. But... Is it finally time for Snyder to step aside after the season, this time for good, even though the Wildcats have to know that finding similar success under anybody else is almost impossible? But is it time for Bill Snyder to try to find a nice uh, dignified exit strategy after this season? It's past time. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, I, I, yeah. If you want to get dewy-eyed about it, you can. But I'm looking at it a little more rationally. They're not very good. They have they weren't very good last year. Uh, they are several years removed from from when they were, you know, really relevant. Uh, he's into his late seventies. I mean, come on, it's man! It's his seventy ninth birthday today, gentlemen. Come on, man! Seventy nine. Yeah. Go somewhere it's time to go, and man. It's too much you know, work. Sit on the beach. Do something. Uh, he's been trying to feather bed it for his son. They've obviously fought against that at Kansas State, as I think they should, because Sean Snyder has not proven to be head coach quality. So this is really, to me, it's become a little bit too much of a control and vanity play, uh, where he wants to name a successor and he's staying too long. And yeah, he's, he's had one of the greatest runs in the history of college coaching because he's done it at a place that has no advantages. So absolutely tip your cap to that. But from a pragmatic standpoint, it's overdue. Pat, you're talking about him going to the beach. I, I don't I don't even imagine that possible. But if it if he, he did wear his windbreaker beach, on the beach, if he I don't think he goes like sit in a, like a cornfield somewhere or something. I, but <laughs> if 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 Bill Snyder went to the beach, what level of <laughs> what level of SPF would you recommend? I don't, think he's ever, I don't think he's ever seen the sun. Yeah. <laughs> he wears that windbreaker all year round. Yeah, he's almost <laughs> translucent if you look at him. Really. Yeah. I would want a lot of SPF on that guy. <laughs> he, here's what he needs to do. He needs to pick up his phone. He might not have a cell phone, but if he <laughs> have his secretary, call Frank Beamer and say, hey, Frank, when things started to get away from me at Virginia Tech, you had the self-awareness to recognize it and work with your administration for a succession plan so people don't start to spite you. It's gotten really ugly there in the athletic department. Um, he got openly snippy with the uh, with the media. Usually he's just sort of bland and evasive, but oh, he um, can be snippy. Yeah, so he was he, he gave him a right right what the want right what the hell you want to write about. It's also oh. telling that information has started to leak out of that building. K State has always kind of been like a Fort Knox, you know, like there aren't a lot of leakers, but the the assistant coaches appeared to be pissed that. He had made a quarterback change without informing them. And I guess if you're the offensive coordinator and you have to call the offense, you should probably want to know who's in at quarterback. And so um, that was a big headline. Like the most dramaless program in college football has all of a sudden become like drama central. And it's sad because he's now undercutting his legacy. And the longer he stays and the more uncertainty there is, and there's the longer there's no succession plan, the crappier they're going to be when he's gone. And the longer this has gone on, you get the feeling that he's one of those small people that actually wants his achievements to be so towering that he does not want to see it succeed in the future. I'm down wow. on Bill Snyder right now. I think what wow. he's doing is 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 a shame. Um and he just needs to he just needs to like 
appreciate what he's built. Look, I know he's a Hall of Famer and what he's done is miraculous and everything, but he's overstayed his welcome. You need to try to leave and depart with some class. Let the record hey, uh, state. Let the record state that I was the most sensitive for once on a topic. <laughs> God, you guys are brutal. They Man. got Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and TCU on the road the two weeks after that. So they're I'm trying be, to live up to the ethos of the overreaction podcast where we're soft. always negative. Hanging out of the UFC has made me soft, apparently. <laughs> and look, of course the media is tough. You know how tough that Topeka media market oh, is. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a bunch of bastards they're, out there, man. Yeah, they're really crucifying Bill Self right now for his involvement in the federal case. I mean, he's getting yeah. heat from every corner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, uh, some, some breaking news, by the way, in college oh. football. Mike Stoops has been fired as defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Ooh. Wow. That's Tom, juicy. Yep. Tom Herman just broke him. I found that, that I, I find the news there that they had a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ruffin McNeil's been sitting there. Don't forget the old Texas Tech and yeah. uh, East Carolina yeah. coach uh, Lincoln Riley brought him in as soon as he got promoted uh, to to head coach that two summers ago, I guess now. And uh, yeah, Mike Stoops, a good man who has been not that good at his job for a long time. He was bad at Arizona um, after an initial little burst there. And his return to Oklahoma has been spotty. That politically, I'd like to see the 30 for 30 on like the Lincoln Riley call to Bob mm. to tell him that he's going to fire his brother. Mm. Yeah, thanks for the That's job, for sure. but uh, your brother's out. Uh, <laughs> and how about that? Now, hey, you want to talk about tough jobs? Oklahoma's lost two games, right? Three games under Lincoln Riley. He just fired his defensive coordinator. He's like, what are they, uh, 12 and 2 plus 4? He's like 17 and 3 and yeah. firing coaches in the middle of the season. That is a tough job. All right, hey, things are going great for the Maryland football team, but um, Terrapin fans, you have something to look forward to. Uh, got this little bit here. Uh, this is from WJLA in uh, Washington, D.C., TV. Forget the six-pack. Soon, thirsty customers in College Park can go grab themselves a 77-pack of beer. <laughs> what? Natural light. Announced the creation of the new giant case of their beer Friday in honor of their creation in 1977. <laughs> wow, Nacho Light has only been brewed since 77? Holy cow. Someone thought this was a good idea not that long ago. All right. Yeah. Uh, the company says it will sell the gargantuan beverage container for a limited time exclusively in College Park. Oh home my. of the University. Why there? Huh? How about Royal why. Oak, Michigan? That would have been fine. <laughs> when, you're, when your football coach is suspended, your basketball coach is about to get fired, your AD will probably get fired, and your chancellor may get run out in the football scandal, there's plenty of reasons to have to drink 77 yeah. natural I, lights. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is awesome. It's this – it's uh, it's not a yeah, – Not to mention the federal investigation. It's a six-sided case with a liner, so you basically can just dump the ice right in. And it's just stacked with 77 natties, it says, right in the side. <laughs> Pat Forty, would you buy this? I know you are you have good taste in beer, and natural light probably is not it. Oh, it's but not would it. you buy just for the I mean, just yeah, for the sheer the absurdity of it? Yes, yes I would. 77 I would, I just, natties. I, I don't even know how you carry it, but yes, I would buy the 77 pack of natty. I would absolutely just to just to walk out and say I did, but I I have a theory about why this is happening at Maryland. Do you remember the epic 
uh, tailgate scene last year in September where the Maryland female co-ed smashed the beer can on her forehead and then chugged it. I believe that was a Natty Light can. I'm looking at the video right now. Yes. <laughs> Natty Light, I believe. I so saw that That's one. why. Yeah, that was they, you a, know, Maryland a, has etched itself in Natty Light lore. It's a good American. Just backed it up there now with the 77-pack. The 77-pack contains a warning. It says, it's not not heavy. <laughs> 77 when I said, natties. When I, Pete? When I saw 77 natties, I thought... That's how many national championships Alabama claims in its yeah. media. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, uh, all right. Anyway, uh, get, uh, let me tell you where I'm going to be this week. I'm going to College Park, get myself a natty and 77 of them. Yeah. Anyone from Natural Light listening, if they if they invited us down, we would do a live podcast I in mean, College Park. I'm not in, saying that we did this segment in case somebody would ship us some 77 packs. <laughs> Because we didn't. I was just honest. But, I mean, you know, I'm just saying. Um, I would right. like to, a live podcast with a 77-pack. What could go wrong? Normally, <laughs> you would think a 77-pack of beer would be my favorite segment of the podcast. But this is clearly it. I am a big fan, as we all are, of anger, of spite, of long-held uh, revenge, a motive for revenge. So let's talk Georgia Tech coach Paul Johnson and the Yellow Jackets beating Louisville 66 to 33. Now here is the backstory. Johnson once coached Georgia Southern 97 to 2001. And as you'd expect, he installed the triple option offense. Won a bunch, got the Navy job. Won there, went to Georgia Tech. Now uh, a guy named Brian Van Gorder took over Georgia Southern in 2006. And in one moment, he stated he wanted to bring the offense quote into the 21st century there was also some ticket promotions declaring, quote, there is no option. Now, Van Gorder tried to kind of walk it back, so he didn't really mean any insult. But, oh, if you know Paul Johnson, he took it as an insult. Uh, Johnson was at Navy at the time of these comments in 2006, running the triple option. He got wind, called a buddy at Georgia Southern, Associate AD, and bet, said, we got to get you on the, on the schedule. And the guy asked him, why do you want to play Georgia Southern? And the quote was, I want to beat the hell out of Brian Van Gorder. The man disparaged the triple option, right? I mean, he just can't do that around Paul Johnson. He Could wanted he to go Khabib clear. on him. Yeah. This is the UFC come to college football. Now, they never played. The uh, no option Van Gorder team didn't do well either. They got He, got, he resigned after going three and eight. Uh, lost his job in one season. He's been assistant at uh, Auburn, South Carolina, Notre Dame. Now he's at Louisville, defensive coordinator. Well, here comes George Tech this week. And L could not stop the triple option. And Tech just kept running it down their throats. 542 yards on the ground, 66 points on the scoreboard. And when asked after, Johnson simply said, just executing the offense. How <laughs> great, Pat. 12 freaking years later and Paul Johnson's still salty about some comment in the Statesboro bugle. Is Paul Johnson not our hero? I do love it. I love a man who can harbor a grudge in a corner of his cold, remorseless heart for 12 years and then get the chance and not just, not just, you know, 
get revenge, but destroy him. Quite honestly, I thought if we were going to talk about a fired defensive coordinator on this podcast this week, I thought it was going to be Brian Van Gorder because he <laughs> should have been fired after that disgrace. But man, oh man, that hey, Paul Johnson, chippy dude. And this is the <laughs> ultimate. Group. This was sixty-six points worth of chippy dude getting back at him. Just well, I'm going to double down on what Pat said, Dan, because not only did he get to ram it up Petrino's, you know where, but he also really got to hurt his family because Petrino's son-in-laws are the defensive line coach and the linebacker coach of a woefully <laughs> underachieving defensive unit. Bobby Petrino has $650,000 in salary of relatives on wow. on on his uh, on his staff uh, at three very underachieving positions by the way, quarterback, defensive line and linebacker and uh, yes, so not only will this could this end up leading to Bobby Petrino's unemployment, but it could also be leading to family unemployment. And that's where they really are going dark, like sopranoish stuff here. All right, this reminds me quickly of a funny story when uh, the Detroit Lions had Rod Marinelli as their coach. And uh, he uh, had his uh, son-in-law as their defensive coordinator. And after a game, they gave up, I don't know how many points to whoever. And um, um, Rob Parker, who's now on Fox Sports 1, he was at the Detroit News, and he literally asked at a press conference. He was kind of, he was joking, but that's not how Marinelli took it. Do you wish your daughter had married a better defensive coordinator. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that is cold. One of the all-time <laughs> questions. Oh, kick a man while he's lying down. <laughs> uh, yeah, so sometimes coaching. What did Marinelli say? He just brushed it aside, and then Rob, I think, got like suspended or something for asking such an inappropriate question. I, you know, I mean, that's what the fans want to know, though. They're like, we're sick of losing, and this guy's got his son-in-law. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it was fair. It was, it was tough. That's a tough question now. Um, but All right, let's get to small sample Heisman. Who won the Heisman this week if it was just this week? Uh, Pat, let's start with you. I'm going repeat performer here because I believe I touted him before. LaVisca Chenault, Colorado, leads the nation in receptions, leads the nation in receiving yards. Colorado is 5-0. and oh. Nobody saw that coming. They had really had their first quality win against Arizona State. He scored all four of their touchdowns, two rushing, two receiving. LaVisca Chenault, as long as Colorado is winning, he's a really good story, and he's going to be in the Heisman mix. All right, Pete, your uh, small sample Heisman. Chenault, Dan, just for the record, I, I tweeted this yesterday. Maybe the only person in college football with more immaculate hair than Pat Forty. Wow. He has a just a a beautiful, beautiful mane, even better than the silver mane we get to look at twice weekly on our podcast. It really is something, yeah. Sometimes three times. My small sample Heisman, I'm going to go a little bit obscure. I'm going to take South Carolina kicker Parker White. I don't know. I know Pat probably peeked in on that game because he's a Missouri grad. I don't know if you saw any of it, Dan, because it was probably at like 8 a.m. in Vegas. Did, Pat, did you see how hard it was raining? In oh, Columbia? it was an absolute biblical deluge, yes. I have. I was expecting to see like male and female zebras on the sideline looking for an ark. <laughs> like I've never seen rain that bad. And like it got, how many times did it get canceled? Like delayed at least twice. Um, yeah, it was a long delay. Yeah, it was like a six-hour game. Anyway, uh, my guy Parker White not only kicked the game-winning field goal, he hit all four extra points and was three for three with a long of forty-two, uh, including in the in the in the waning moments. So Parker White from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, you are my overreaction uh, weekly Heisman winner. 
All right. My small sample Heisman goes to Brock Purdy, who is a freshman at Iowa State. He was third-string quarterback. The season started. There's been injuries. Uh, one, one, uh, one drive into the game at Oklahoma State. He ends up getting thrown in there. Uh, they go out and score six TDs to beat Oklahoma State, 48-42. He accounts for five of them. True freshman, uh, Brock Purdy. So good days ahead for Iowa State. All right, as we know, uh, regular listeners, we do a lot of negativity here. Sometimes this turns negative too, but we at least try. <laughs> Pete. <laughs> when, you, when, you say, when you compliment a coach for not shaving points, is that yeah, considered yeah. negative? <laughs> Sometimes we're not so good at it. But Pete, say something nice. I'm going to say something nice about uh, the new NCAA redshirt rule, which allows players to appear in four games yet still redshirt and preserve their uh, preserve their year of an eligibility. It allowed my favorite story of the weekend, Craig Squirrel Williams, all of 162 pounds. He's the sixth string tailback at Baylor, usually runs the scout team. He's a, he's a freshman from the uh, Houston area. A rash of injuries and some happenstance ushered the squirrel into the game. He had two <laughs> carries for 35 yards. He scored Baylor's last touchdown. The Bears are four and two. The squirrel has been let loose. And I can't just be totally positive, though, because the NCAA should have changed this rule like two decades ago. It's the most <laughs> obvious thing. Really Think was. of how many squirrels we'd have. We'd have a squirrel Nando. They're the worst. We already have. This is Squirrel NATO part two. Unbelievable. We've, we've Squirrel NATO. Yeah, squirrels. squirrels getting a lot of pub this year. Pat, say something nice. <laughs> okay. Tua Tagovailoa is the leader for the Heisman and is performing at a historically good rate. He is on pace to destroy Baker Mayfield's pass efficiency record for a single season. His rating right now is 258.4. Baker's record, 199. He Jeez. is just outrageous it's unbelievable what he has been doing 18 touchdowns no interceptions he's on pace to break the single season uh accuracy record he's on pace to break the single season yards per attempt record he's a first year starter he's a sophomore he's out of control Tua, ridiculous that makes like kellen moore at boise look like vince young in the nfl (laughs) (laughs) that's preposterous ridiculous numbers uh bama's just ridiculous we don't. We barely even talk about Bama because it's like, what are you going to say? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, awesome, yeah. I haven't right. watched them that much. Like, what's the reason to watch? Uh, yeah, like I watched the first series against Arkansas on, uh, and and it was like, okay, this game's over. All right, I'm going to say something nice about my alma mater, the University of Massachusetts. Not necessarily the football team; they're not so good, two and five. But <laughs> they're they're fans slash fan. Okay, we're not sure if there's more than one. Uh, Saturday's game against South Florida, uh, South Florida won 55 42, which actually a pretty good effort for UMass. So kudos to that. But my favorite part of the game was the emergence of a photo on social media of a UMass student at the game. And he was laying on a bench on, on a, on the bench in an empty part of the stadium, which was probably not hard to find. Uh, (laughs) But in the picture, he is sprawled out on his back. He appears to have what looks like a plate of nachos next to him on like the <laughs> bench behind him. And he is reading a book. What? <laughs> and it looks like an actual academic textbook. Okay. This photo is unbelievable. This makes me a proud alum. Here's a guy with enough school spirit to actually go to the game, which I certainly would not have done. Yet he is learned 
in in the disciplines of probability and reality. And he figures maybe I should plan ahead. And if things don't go right, bring along some homework. He knows how to get comfortable. Stadium nachos are always a winner. He can lay there, reach to the left, dab a little nacho in, have a bite. If some here's some commotion on the field, turn. Yeah, turn left or he could dab right. He was dab or dabbing left. Turn right. Watch a little of the game. Get back to his thing. He's having a fine and productive ad- afternoon, no matter what occurs. If UMass pulls the upset, awesome. He's going to tear down the goalpost. If not, <laughs> furthering his education. Mm. So that's fan one of the more week. book than Dan bought at UMass, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Nacho <laughs> book reading guy at UMass. All right, that is the podcast. That's the Overreaction Monday podcast. Uh, subscribe, please. Uh, we'll be back for Wednesday. Our midweek one will be back to uh, right, uh, a lot of college basketball scandal. I'm sure will be involved in that. Bruce Bowen Sr. to hit the stand again on Tuesday. Uh, please leave us a good review, and uh, please share this with your friends. We'll talk to you guys midweek. Take care. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader